Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. This is Tom Fox. Richard Lummis is on assignment this week, so I am visiting with Amy Bernard Bond, a well-known compliance and leadership expert, to take a look at five of the top leadership failures and scandals from 2019. In this series, we look at leadership failures at Boeing, Goldman Sachs, Ericsson, Wells Fargo, and today we begin with Boeing. The series is a lot of fun and very topical, and I know you will enjoy it. This special series, uh, 12 O'Clock High, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Amy Bernard Bond for another episode in our exploration of Corporate Failures and Leadership Failures from 2019. Today, we are going to take up Goldman Sachs and 1MDB. Amy, first of all, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Happy to be back. Amy, uh, Amy, this is one of the, if not the largest, one of the largest geopolitical scandals of the decade. It has resonated literally across the globe from uh, Malaysia to the United States to the Middle East to China and every point in between. It has touched probably all parts of American business, American culture, as well as the same across the globe. Um, the uh, 1MDB part uh, has been uh, written about and talked about and the failures in that. But this year, that really the focus was on and has been on Goldman Sachs. Where would be a good place to start? Great question. This one does uh, cover the... the uh the world and it goes back so far. You know, 2012, 2013 is when a lot of the activity really started. I guess we could start with you know a couple of key factors. How about 6.5 billion dollars, Tom? You know, in terms of the level of controls that were circumvented. This was a fund that was you know raised by Goldman Sachs. Widespread corruption um, throughout the culture at, at Goldman Sachs in terms of the level of controls and really down in the weeds controls that were circumvented. And I think what is exceptional about this as well, just from an ethics standpoint, is this involved an entire country's wealth. You know, Malaysia was on the line here. And it's a country that struggled to have a modern economy and to do well. And so that um, is is astounding to me that people would take advantage uh, of that. It's very, very morally corrupt. With, you know, another thing that I go to with Goldman Sachs on this is they were just creating a bond fund. And if you, you know about how you know, costs are allocated, Goldman charged three times higher than, than you would normally charge in fees for what's a relatively low risk, or should have been a relatively low risk investment like bonds. They charged $600 million, like 10% of the deal. And so right up front, um, I know Goldman Sachs has tried to characterize this as kind of a rogue situation where they just allowed too much autonomy to one of their business units, you know, in, in Southeast Asia, and the chairman there has certainly taken the fall there. Um, but you know, I, I question that, Tom. Again, just I, when I when I first look at, at scandals, having worked in HR, having worked in compliance, you look at the incentives, you follow the money, and and this one, I, I think, should have had more eyes on it. So, Amy, one of the things you touched on was the control failures in this case. And the um, uh, J. Lo, the probably top bad actor in this case, he was rejected by Goldman Sachs uh, to become a, a, a customer 
a high net worth customer because they couldn't determine the source of his income, yet he was the person whose fingerprints were over all of these deals. As part of their internal due diligence on these three bond offerings, um, Tim Leisner, the Goldman relationship partner in charge of this, was specifically asked if Lowe was involved, and, and he lied to his partners. So now I want I set that up to ask you uh, from your HR hat, how can you deal with what's how can you manage the risk of an employee of a managing director of a partner who not will circumvent controls but will actually lie to uh, the, the the groups that are responsible for being the gatekeepers of the controls so that he can do a business deal? How do you do you have to do that in a due diligence screening? Do you have to do that through a second set of eyes? With oversight, how do you deal with that type of personality? You have to have multiple levels of control, Tom. You just, when in a situation like this, you can't just take people at their word. Um, I think the fact that they asked is interesting because that means they were curious about it. So why didn't they follow up? I'll, I'll tell you my favorite quote from, you know, I had a fraud unit reporting to me at one point when I was a compliance officer. And, and my guy was a former cop and he would say, you know, trust, but verify, you know, Trust, but verify. He said, sure, you know, try to take people at their word, but you don't stop there. So uh, it's always good to channel your inner Ronnie Reagan. And as a fellow Californian, I'm sure that uh, <laughs> resonates uh, in California as well. The, um, <laughs> we do have a, a leadership change at Goldman Sachs. And David Solomon uh, has yeah. come on board. Um, and do you see, uh, I guess, what would be his role in trying to get the company through the regulatory slash legal part, but then really move towards uh, changing the culture. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, they just announced a major business reorg, um, and they just exited Uber. Um, so I know David is looking at all aspects of the business top down, which is promising. My hope is that he's also thinking about okay, and how am I going to implement controls in this. And I did, um, you know, see some information that uh, indicated that that um, they're having much more centralized control right now between himself and the president. Um, they said that the, the former controls that had been and the authority that had been delegated to a lot of um, others is, is no longer the case. That's the best I could glean, you know, from looking in from the outside. I'd love to know what's going on inside. Um, but my hope is that that announcement indicates a whole top-down shift in business focus, you know, including compliance and including uh, greater scrutiny. I have to imagine it is. I mean, this has been a headache for them, right? They're, they're still, it's still not settled. It's still hanging over their head. Their profits are down 22% year over year, despite having an increase in revenue of almost the same amount. And they're in talks with the, with the DOJ of a $2 billion settlement plus a monitor. So I've got to hope that the monitor is going to be in there. You know, I remember one time you had mentioned four levels of review, you know, that, that could be put in place for compliance on, on their deals. Um, and that there were some, um, you know, there's a lot of software that you can implement too to check on due diligence and things like that for some of this. So um, my hope is that, that it will change. I know Leisner, when he left in 2016, said that his decision to hide information from compliance was, quote, very much in line with company culture. You know, so he was certainly throwing the whole culture under the bus. Um, 
Solomon, I'm sure, would disagree. Um, but, um, you know, they, they've got to do something. And then they have, they're still charged in Malaysia. They've got 17 current and former employees of Goldman Sachs, several pretty high profile. One guy is the current president of Alibaba, um, and then several people in their London office. And Malaysia is still seeking $7.5 billion from them. So they've still got that uh, hanging over their heads. And this guy, J-Lo, is still a fugitive. They think he's hiding out in China, but he's issuing, you know, statements um, claiming poor me, um, you know. So that that's, all, that's kind of interesting to see as well. So, yeah, my hope is that he turns it around, that's for sure. You mentioned one thing that we have not seen directly in the other scandals we've discussed which is the loss of shareholder value or loss of value to the firm mm-hmm. that uh, I think you mentioned a 21% drop in value. I'm not quite sure how many billions that is, but it's uh, multiple billions. And when you look at the overall cost to uh, any company, uh, there's going to be a pre, uh, pre-resolution cost. There's going to be resolution expenses, fines, penalties, et cetera. There's going to be post-resolution costs implementing the solution. If there's a three-year monitorship, I'm sure it'll be extraordinarily expensive. But uh, perhaps even the greatest loss is the loss of, of value of the firm. Uh, we saw that uh, most markedly, I think, in another uh, example we'll talk about. But Wells Fargo early on um, lost, I think it was about 5% of their value, but they were a $240 billion company. So, um you may say, well, 5%, so what? Well, um, 5% of $240 billion is a lot of money. And uh, Goldman Sachs is not valued at that level, but they're highly valued. And, the, and then the other kind of more larger reputational question for me is, um, would customers now trust them or not trust them? Uh, if they turns out there are other problems, there were uh, allegations of uh, issues in South Africa, uh, around the, the Gupta family and uh, President Zuma, the prior uh, regime. Uh, if Goldman Sachs takes two or three of these hits in a row, what's it going to do to the Goldman brand, which frankly is one of the great brands in the world for business? So it is. It has been, Tom. And, you know, the good news, I guess, for, for investors and, and uh, clients is that Solomon and, and even former CEO Blankfein are likely to see clawbacks in their pay. So this is going to, I think personally impact them. And there's nothing like lighting a fire, you know, under, under people that are motivated by money, um, to, to get them to shift and change the culture. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Well, I mean, unfortunately we're near the end of our time. Um, I hope you listeners will join us again tomorrow where we take up in many ways, the case that keeps on giving. Uh, Wells Fargo. So, Amy, I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Me too, Tom. This is Paris Fox again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I hope you enjoyed part three of our five-part exploration of leadership failures from 2019. Tomorrow, please join us again as we take up failures or continuing failures from Wells Fargo.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.